All right. Hi, everyone. What? <laughs> Push play pre-recorded tonight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just lip sync. Um, good to see all you guys. Thanks for coming out tonight. And um, we just were talking earlier, you know, with red tide and everything, little coughs here and there, but... I mean, the beauty of the ocean and the peacefulness that's here, it's really, you can't beat it. So we're, we're glad to be together. We're glad to sing a few songs together. And in a little bit, we'll just uh, spend a little bit of time praying together. There's a few prayer requests that we've got, and maybe you have one as well. Um, but in the midst of all that, we're going to open up God's Word together because we believe that the Bible is living and powerful and uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. And I've, I've actually heard that that verse in the original Greek language could refer to that sword like a combat sword, but also I've heard it said that it could refer to like a scalpel, like a sharp scalpel that a doctor would use to just get right in and fix the problem. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know how to do that, but it actually makes me like a little queasy just thinking about it. But anyway... You get the point that God is like the great physician. In fact, the Bible says he's a great physician who uses the scalpel to fix whatever is ailing us and hurting us mentally, emotionally, even physically. And the word of God is what does that a lot of the time by the spirit of God. So it's always um, it's always a blessing when we can come together freely in a free country to gather and study God's word, worship together, um, see see friends, make new friends, and uh, so we're just uh, we count it as a privilege to be able to do that. Okay, we're studying the book of Colossians, and that's what we've been doing on Thursday nights: is going verse by verse through the book of Colossians, and we're in chapter three, starting in verse twelve. So, if you got your Bible, you can open to Colossians chapter three, verse twelve. <clears throat> And for those of you who haven't been with us over the last little while in studying Colossians, let me just give you a, a little bit of a summary. And actually, we took last week off too, so this would be helpful for all of us, I think. A little bit of a summary of what happened in chapter 3. Because, you know, the thing about the Bible is that it's a benefit to us. And it really benefits us when we don't just take a verse here and a verse there. You know, that that's good to do sometimes. I do that. You know, you get encouraging verses I actually just read one the other day, Romans 8:28. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So that's a verse you take. John 3:16, another one. You take a verse here, a verse there, and you get encouragement. But the real benefit from Bible study comes not just taking a verse here and a verse there and kind of making a little message or an encouraging thing, but in studying books of the Bible, chapters of the Bible, getting context of what's going on, and when you understand what's going on in the flow of thought by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is writing through these different uh, people, here it's the Apostle Paul, you get to see the general overall theme of what's happening. And as you put the pieces together or the verses together, you actually come up with a much deeper and richer understanding of God's Word and also of what He's trying to say in Romans 8.28 or John 3.16. John 3.16 is in the middle of an awesome passage about being born again and what it means to have a new birth and all that. And that's just one of the little key verses that unlocks the whole thing. 
So that's what we've been doing in uh, Colossians. So going back to the beginning of chapter 3, he's starting off, he's basically talking about, and I, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, actually three weeks ago, what does it mean to be a Christian? And so he's talking to this church, and he's saying this is what it means to be a Christian. It's, and it's not the fact that you go to church or that you say you're a Christian or that you do good deeds even. Um, that's not what makes you a Christian. Or even belief in Christ, not necessarily the intellectual belief. What makes you a Christian is that your life that once was lived for yourself has died and now you have a new life in Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a Christian. Because there's a lot of moral people out there. Let's be honest. There's some people that aren't Christians that are more moral and ethical than many Christians. <laughs> to our shame, right? You could say, man, they give more to the poor. They do more for you know, this cause or that or social needs. All these things that Christians are called to do. You find people doing good deeds and moral deeds who aren't Christians. So that's not what it means to just go to church or you know, say you're a Christian and do good deeds. What it means is my life that once was lived for myself, you start off living for yourself, that life is dead. I have died to myself so that I might have a new life in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things that are above. It says in verse 5, Put to death... Your members which are on the earth. That's the, the sinfulness that is in your life. Your own life, put it to death so that you can live for Christ. In verse 8, you are to put off these things. And what, what was introduced from that new life, our old life is dead, our new life is here. Now, here's the decisions we make in the new life. It's like, uh, it's like uh, changing clothes. That's literally the, the image that he's using of putting on and putting off different like garments, like whatever they had back in their day. Um, tunics and cloaks and robes and all that, all that stuff. <laughs> Literally taking off that which was destroyed and dirty and disgusting. And he, he lists a lot of those things, anger and all this stuff. And putting on, that's the imagery of putting on a new garment. You're actually putting on the life of Christ. You're taking off your life of sin. You're putting on the life of Christ. And that happens when we come to faith in Christ. There's a new life born. But it actually, in a practical way, should happen each day. Every decision we make. Um, you know, in another place, it says it like this. Put on the whole armor of God. You've heard of that one, right? Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God. So... When you start your day or when you're spending time, hopefully, reading the Bible, praying, you're saying, God, I want to live. Here's the thing. I want to live based on the person that you've made me to be. I want to live the life that you have given me. Whereas before, we had no ability to live that life. Try as we might, we would always end up turning back to ourself or to sin or to selfishness, whatever it is. Now we have a new life. We have the ability to live the way that God wants us to live. That's what he's saying here, is that practically speaking, you need to put off these things, idolatry, covetousness, and then anger, it says in verse 8, don't lie to one another, verse 9. So it's a practical list. Here's, here's the thing. The fundamental is our life has been changed 
So live according to that changed life. You understand that? It's different than, um, you know, be a Christian, just try to do good and try not to do bad. No. Our whole identity has changed. I'm no longer living for myself, even though sometimes those sins come out. Overall, my life has changed. And now, practically, we're saying, I want, God, I need you to help me live according to the life that you've now given me. My new identity in Christ, that's how I want to reflect um, the actions and decisions that I make. And then, okay, so then he says, put on the new man, verse 10, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now, that all brings us up to verse 12. Let's get practical about it. Verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Okay, first of all, the elect of God. What does, that, what does that mean? It's really a fancy Bible way to say chosen by God. And chosen by God, holy and loved. That word holy, we think of it like a kind of like a really religious person, a really pious person. Not at all. The word holy just means set apart. So once we were part of the world, now we are holy. What does it mean? Set apart from the sinful things the world does. Once we did not belong to God, now we are the elect of God. We've been chosen by Him. And you may ask the question, people have asked this, well, how do I know if I'm the elect of God or I'm chosen by God? There's an easy way to answer that question. You want to know what it is? Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? And if you say yes, congratulations, chosen, elect by God. And so that's, an, that's the amazing thing. It's not a... Uh, it's not a secret society where it's really hard to get into and nobody really knows the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's the beauty of it, is that, let's go John 3:16. For God so loved the world, all these people, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. So you believe, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, congratulations, you've been chosen by God, part of the elect. That's an amazing thing because it's open to whosoever will. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. You know, the invitation, it's not a, uh, you know, people say, oh, Christianity is so narrow. It's not at all. In some sense it is, but the reality is it's open, open wide to every single person on the face of the earth. You can go up to someone out, right out here and say, God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you, and if you put your faith in him, you can be part of his family, the chosen of God. And, but what does it mean? That's, it's not so much there to say, you know, to talk about that verse or that word, the elect of God, holy and beloved. It's basically saying, saying this. It's just saying that to introduce this, this uh, important principle. If you are the chosen of God, if you are set apart, holy, if you are loved by God, which you are, he's saying that to them, you are those things, then you should put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bear with one another, forgive one another. If you have a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Did you guys just hear all that? Again, we're not just giving you a list of morals to do. That's, 
You can do that without Christianity. What it's saying is, because of the new life, your life has died, you're now in Christ. You are chosen by God. You are loved by God. You are made holy by God. Therefore, live like that new life. Put on these things. And you know what's interesting about this list? It's not a list of religious works that we must do, really. It doesn't say, therefore, since you are chosen by God, holy and beloved, start to attend church at least once a week. You know, read your Bible every day. You know, try to be a good person and do the, so many good deeds throughout the week. Give to the poor. It doesn't, you know, those are all good things. But that's not what it says. Why? I want you to notice all the things that it says are about character. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. There's a big difference between what you do and who you are. You know that, right? Because hypocrites do a lot of good things, but who they are is really bad. Pastors sometimes, I'm a pastor so I can say it, do, do a lot of good things, but you find out that who they are is really not that good at all. And eventually that what is inside comes out. So these things are not necessarily what you're doing. It's more about character, who you are. And, and more than that, it's about the character that shows itself in, listen to this, this is really important for this passage, personal relationships. It's all about personal, everything in here is about personal relationships, isn't it? What does it say to do? Tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bear with one another, forgive one another, love and so you see those are all things that have to do with one another and this is a very basic principle to what it means to be a Christian you've got a new life and that new life is compassionate and loving and humble and caring toward one another toward other people you can't here's some hard words that I get convicted by so I can if I get convicted I can say it to you too you're probably better than me, though, so you won't get convicted. You're like, we know. You can't say you're a Christian or represent Christ if you are an unkind, unmerciful, prideful, unloving person. That is the, I, all those words I just said are the exact opposite of the words right here. And I, and I got to be honest with you, I've done this before, and I've seen some of my friends and other churches and things. When the world looks at some Christian, you see people who are mean. Look, you don't have to compromise the truth to be nice. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to compromise to be a kind person. You know, Jesus was the most merciful, meek, all these words, loving, forgiving, long-suffering, humble person on the face of the planet. And he, not only did he stand up for the truth, he said, I am the truth. He said a lot of hard things for people to hear, but they heard it. You know why? Because they knew that he loved them. They knew that he cared about them. If we're Christians, we should care about other people and not just care about the truth. Because the truth about the truth is this. The truth is humility, mercy, love, compassion, forgiveness. 
long-suffering. That's the truth that we want people to accept. I talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. About the, I used the example of being covetous and how we as Christians need to be different from the world or else they're not going to hear from us. So if someone is covetous and greedy and they're in a business partnership with someone who's covetous and greedy and you guys are exploiting people and the, the whole nine yards, how can they then turn to the person and say, hey, you should stop being so covetous? First of all, who says covetous? <laughs> yeah, you could translate. Huh? Do what? Translate? Covetous. Yeah. So it's hard because covetous is a good is a good word. It has to do with being greedy. You guys know what it means. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So give me a break here. No. So the the business guy he says, "Hey, you know, you really shouldn't um, take advantage of people for your own gain." And then you're doing the same thing with them. It's like, what? Well, how, why are you telling me that? Because you're doing the exact same thing. So if I'm here saying, you need to be a Christian. And I'm shouting at people and I'm belittling people. And I'm, you know, being aggressive and not being meek. I'm being prideful about it. And I say, you need to be a Christian. And then they say, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means to be loving humble, kind, forgiving others. Um, there was one in here that's crazy. If anyone has a complaint against you, forgive them. That's what it means to be a Christian. And then they say, what the heck, man? Here you are shouting at me, making me feel stupid, making me feel like I'm dumb, and all these things you're doing, telling me to be a Christian. And all of a sudden, what it means to be a Christian is to be humble and loving and kind and merciful. I think you get it. So that's hard for me because when it comes to arguing about stuff, I'm, I'm, when I'm arguing, I'm always right. Okay? You guys agree with that? No? Oh. Well, you're wrong then. <laughs> But at some point, you know how we're going to be most effective in this world? Because all of us, are if we're Christians, we want to be effective in this world. We want, to change the, we want things to change for the good, right? We want people to stop being immoral, sexual immorality. We want our kids to you know, grow up in a place that's, that has values and so forth. Those are all wonderful things. How is that change going to happen? It's not going to happen by changing the behavioral things. It's going to happen by changing and transforming the heart. And when you get close to someone and they know you care about them, then they're going to hear. They're going to hear the hard words. Jesus said it to the tax collectors when he was having dinner at Matthew's house. And the Pharisees were mad because Jesus was there with the sinners. But Jesus was there because they were listening to him. They knew that he cared about them. Above all these things, put on love. Forget all those other words if you... If you can't remember them, you can just remember this one, love. Because love is the summary of all those other things, humility, mercy, kindness, all that. And verse 15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called, in one body, and be thankful. 
By the way, it says to be thankful three times in this. Thankfulness is another thing we're known for. But look what it says. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. I was doing a little research about that with the peace of God ruling. When it's talking about ruling, we think of like a uh, like a judge, you know, and he makes a ruling. And uh, that's final. That's kind of what it means. But it's actually, I looked at the history of that statement, that saying. It had to do with the Greek uh, Olympic Games. What a coincidence. We're having the Olympics right now. At least I think we are. I haven't seen any. Actually, me and Gavin saw handball today at the lunch. We were having lunch, and it was on TV. You guys know what handball is? It's, it's like soccer and basketball, kind of, with a small ball. And they have to jump. I didn't know the rules, but they have to jump, I guess, and throw it, right? Because there, w- there was the audio. <laughs> they were just jumping around and throwing the ball. And I, I said, well, I guess one sport's just as good as another. Like, think about it. Like, who invented basketball? We're like, oh, that's cool, basketball. Why? You throw a ball in the hoop. <laughs> Here they're just throwing a smaller ball in this net with someone guarding it. Handball. Anyway, Olympics. I'm getting to the point. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. It was the that rule was the the person who was responsible for putting the award. Nowadays we got medals, gold, silver, bronze. Uh, what's the ribbon? Participation. <laughs> uh, now you know how old I am. Back in my day, you just got first, second, third. Everybody else got participation. I think everybody gets first these days, right? Or have they changed it back? I don't know. Don't even get me started. I'm trying to be humble. The one who would distribute the awards, in their day it was a wreath. That was the ruler. That was the... So when you say... Let the peace of God rule. It's really saying the peace of God is that which not only gives you the right to do something or the authority in your life to do something, but it gives you the award for it. It gives you the congratulations for it. Practically, what is he talking about? It means this. Two things. Number one, it means if you don't have the peace of God in your heart and in your mind when you're doing an activity or involved in something or making a decision then you need to wait until you have the peace of God ruling in your heart. So let's say, for example, in that business scenario, we could make uh, $2 billion if we just um, you know, sent 10 families into poverty for the rest of their life. I don't know. <laughs> you can tell I'm not a businessman. Is that what you do in business meetings? How many, let's send them to poverty. Let's make the, whatever. So you make the decision and then, there's just something in you, you check, you're like, I don't have a, have you ever heard this? I don't have a peace about that. I, don't, I just don't have, I don't feel like that's right. Let the peace of God rule. So if you don't have that peace, don't do it. That's what it's talking about. But secondly is this, it's talking about relationships. Let the peace of God rule. Let me go back to it. Verse 15, in your hearts. That's plural, isn't it? He's talking to the church. He's talking about forgiving each other, being humble with each other. He's saying, let the the peace of God be evident in your church. And the Bible says in another place, as much as it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. 
So, especially within the church, brothers and sisters, if there is a, a dispute or a, someone's gossiping about someone or whatever it is, there's so many things that we do to each other. We need to say, hey, hang on. Let's straighten this out. Let's get this right. Let's clear this before we move on because the peace of God must rule in our hearts. We must have peace with one another. Now, the Bible says as much as possible because you know as well as I do, some people, not possible. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that's important to say, what is it that's handing out the, and that's the, the awards, the confirmation. You're doing a good job. And it says, um, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Hey, what do we do at church? We teach. We encourage one another. We sing songs together. You know, that's a biblical thing. We just read it. When you're together, be at peace. I don't think anybody's fighting here. We all look like we're relatively peaceful. We've all got stuff going on, I know that, in our lives that cause turmoil, but we can have peace in the midst of it. So that's what we do, is we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom, teaching. In a, so how important is God's Word? I keep coming back to this week after week. Um... Relation, what is this church even about? This beach one. We're trying to find a building, by the way. Relational, spiritual, biblical. Keep it simple. Relational, spiritual, biblical. Because a lot of churches will depart on one of those three things. They get so big, the relationships are lost. You go in, you're just a stranger. Or the Holy Spirit's gone. You're just a program, a business, running a business. No Holy Spirit. You feel no life. The Spirit brings life. Or the third one is most common. The Bible goes out. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of stuff in this book that's offensive. <laughs> right? Every time I read it, I, I read something, I think, man, that is that really what it says? Sometimes I think that. Wow. There's one in the next week. Why submit to your husbands? <laughs> How popular is that in our day? I got to keep it down. I don't want to get sand thrown at us. You know, there's a lot of stuff. It's not as popular as we would want it to be. So the easy thing is to, let's just set this over here. I'm just going to say things that make you feel good. Hey, you're great. You're wonderful people. You got no problems. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And guess why it says that? Because all those things that we read about, humility and peace and all that, it comes as we let the word of God dwell in us. And we sing together. What does it mean, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, I read some commentaries. They're like, well, psalms mean this. Hymns mean that. Spiritual songs mean this. What I think, really, is it's just 
these words are referring to the fact that we are to sing together with one another to the Lord, to each other, in many different ways, spiritual songs. Michael's a worship leader. I'm not a worship leader. He's a worship leader and a pastor. Actually, he needs to get ordained as a pastor next week. But, you know, it kind of bugs me, pet peeve. I'm almost done, I, I promise. I said short. It's not short, but it's not long. We're going to end in a second. One of the things I hear a lot of worship, like you go to conferences. Michael probably can be able to speak to this better than me, but you got all these guys telling you the right way and the wrong way to do worship. Like, hey, you know you're not supposed to sing songs about God. You're just supposed to sing songs to God. I've heard that. I'm like, what? You know, I, all these songs where we're just singing about what God has done for us and, you know, we're, we're singing about how much he loves us and all this stuff. That's not to God. That's about us. I hear the, them say this too. I'm like, man, just chill out. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. By the way, you know the largest book of the Bible is the book of Psalms. That's our first word right there, Psalms. Those are songs they used to sing. Go read those. God, why are you so mean to me? Why have you forsaken? Why, you know, why do I have so many problems? That's a song. <laughs> so forgive me. I, I may not be ver being very nice here. I just contradicted what I said earlier in the message. But look, let's be free and sing together, sing about God, sing to God, sing about us, you know, sing in our hearts, sing out loud. <laughs> but singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, uh, God the Father through him. Gather. It's a short way. Whatever you do, there's no distinction between sacred and secular. It's whatever your life is, whatever you're doing, hanging out at the beach, going for a walk, playing video games, playing handball in the Olympics, eating, hanging out, whatever you're doing. It says... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Is it, does being a Christian mean that your life isn't as much fun anymore, that you don't get to, listen, being a Christian means you've got a new life that is full of peace. The peace of God ruling in us, in our hearts, so that whatever we do, not just at church or church on the beach or wherever. Whatever we do, we're giving thanks to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he likes that about it. Your life. Amen. Next week, wives submit to your husbands. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's messed up, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that. Is that next week? It is, yeah. Yeah, Lynn will teach that one.
let's um let's just uh stand together and we'll close on a song and at the end of the song there's a couple of prayer requests that i'll pray for and if you have a prayer request just just pray for it or just say it and one of us will pray for it but um, there's some people that are sick tonight that ask for prayer. Um, there's some people that are going through some really tough relationship stuff that have asked for prayer tonight. And uh, so we'll just sing a song and then we'll just pray together and uh, let the peace of God rule in our hearts. <laughs>